0: You're listening to the free abridged edition of the Energy Transition Show. Oil, coal, hydro, nuclear energy, natural gas, energy infrastructure, solar panels, wind turbines. We have to change the way we site our buildings and our infrastructure and the way we produce and deliver energy. Making sure that people actually have their needs taken care of is really the core priority of the energy system in general. For October 4th, 2023, this is the Energy Transition Show with Chris Nelder. As the whole world is now well aware, global warming became obvious on a whole new level this year. This June and July were the warmest on record. Not only that, July was the hottest of any month on record. In fact, some scientists estimate it was the hottest month on planet Earth in over 100,000 years. And as of this writing, on August 23rd, it looks like August will enter the record books too, with record high daily global temperatures recorded for every day in August so far, according to data compiled by Zeke Hausfather. According to Zeke, 2023 could come to rank as the warmest year on record. High temperature records were shattered across the world, including across much of the U.S. and Europe, not just on land, but in the seas. Indeed, in late July, United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres pleaded for immediate and radical action on climate change, saying that the temperatures experienced in July show the Earth has passed from a warming phase into a, quote, era of global boiling. We don't yet have a death toll from this year's heat waves, but an estimated sixty one thousand people are thought to have died in heat waves last year in Europe alone, and I wouldn't be surprised if the total were even higher this year. People are starting to wonder whether some places, like Arizona, where I grew up, will even be livable in the future. If this is what the future looks like, with record heat being experienced simultaneously around the globe, and no way to escape it, then we need to take a very serious look at how we're going to survive it. Because simply deploying millions, or maybe more like billions, of air conditioners is simply not a tenable solution. Not when many power grids are already straining under the existing load, even while we're trying to electrify everything, including vehicles, existing boilers and HVAC systems, industrial processes, and more. Equally, buildings are already a major part of the problem. According to the United Nations, buildings are responsible for 40% of the world's energy consumption and approximately one-third of greenhouse gas emissions. Reducing the energy demand of buildings is a crucial objective, not just for the future, but for the present. So that got me thinking about some of the techniques that humanity used in ancient times to keep buildings comfortable, because long before we learned how to exploit all the fuels that we use today, and long before the first engine was invented, we had lots of architectural techniques that we used for thousands of years that kept buildings comfortable while consuming no energy, and methods that used locally available materials to construct buildings that were adapted to their local environments. And so I wondered, what happened to those techniques, and could we still use them today as a no-energy or low-energy strategy to survive a much warmer future? After a fairly extensive search, in which Mohua Mukherjee, our guest from episodes 199 and 201, was an enormous help, I found an expert who has studied these questions and had some answers, and she joins us today. Dr. Sandra Piszczek is an award-winning architect, author, and scientist with extensive experience in what is now called vernacular architecture. Among many other things, she specializes in agitating for legislation supporting sustainability and nature-based solutions to the climate challenge. Her global engagements include leading research and development projects and thought leadership. She's also a stakeholder and network member of several UN and EU organizations, including the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change. She has also published two books on vernacular architecture, including Habitat, Vernacular Architecture for a Changing Climate, published in May of this year. In it, she curates the work of an international team of more than 100 experts across a diverse range of disciplines who examine what the traditions of vernacular architecture and its regional craftspeople around the world can teach us about creating a more sustainable future. With over 1,000 illustrations, the book reveals how people and cultures have used indigenous materials and construction techniques in all five of the planet's climate zones to create comfortable built environments, and it stresses the importance of preserving disappearing craftsmanship and Local knowledge before it is lost forever. In today's conversation, we discuss what vernacular architecture is, what some of the specific techniques are, how those techniques could be used today, and what's preventing us from using them. We also discuss the role of vernacular architecture within the broader context of sustainable development, and what a holistic approach to the UN Sustainable Development Goals or SDGs might look like. Then in the news segment, we'll note just one of thousands of remarkable outcomes from this year's unprecedented heat. We'll check in on the offshore wind industry in the U.S. We'll take a look at a new district heating initiative in Germany. We'll see how one American utility is pivoting to decarbonization. And we'll ask what a recent ruling on a climate change lawsuit brought by young activists really means. But before we go to the interview, announcements, 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 announcements. we'd like to give a warm welcome to our latest group subscribers. The University of Minnesota, Minnesota's only land-grant university, and one of the most prestigious public research universities in the nation. Pacific Gas and Electric, California's largest investor-owned utility, serving approximately 16 million people. And Eidseva Vexed AS, a utility serving nearly 2 million people in Norway. We're so pleased to have all of you on board. And now, our conversation with Sandra Pieschek, recorded August 9th, 2023. So let's bring her into the conversation now. Welcome, Sandra, to the Energy Transition Show.
1: Thank you very much for having me. Thank you, Chris.
0: Today, we're going to talk about how ancient architectural techniques, ones we used thousands of years ago, can help make buildings comfortable without the use of energy consuming appliances. And this is different from what has become known as passive house techniques, which typically involve certain building materials and appliances that can be fitted essentially to any existing building, at least as I understand it. So let's start with some basic definitions, because I've seen various terms used in this domain, including vernacular architecture, traditional architecture, natural buildings, passive house, and so on. So can you kind of help distinguish those terms for us?
1: Sure, I will try. So, vernacular is a term meaning indigenous or belonging to a country where a person is born. And this is a definition given to us by the Encyclopedia Britannica. So, if you follow that, then we could apply that to architecture. In other words, Indigenous architecture belonging to a place where the architecture has been created. And of course, the term traditional architecture might imply vernacular, but in essence, when you think in the context of habitat, vernacular architecture of changing climate, we build vernacular buildings for around 12,000 years until the first industrial revolution and mass production. So I would say the term traditional architecture also imply, but it doesn't mean that this is sort of a classical architecture like Gothic or Roman architecture style. And traditionally, all vernacular buildings were also natural. They were built from natural materials because obviously steel and concrete came to use probably during the first industrial revolution, which is around 18th century. So all these buildings for around 12,000 years across the globe were Natural, And then the passive house, I mean, it's a term that we, particularly in Europe, are using as a voluntary standard for energy efficiency in buildings. So the first three terms, vernacular architecture, traditional architecture, natural buildings are probably sort of holistic and quite broad.
0: Interesting. Okay. So the thing that I'm trying to focus on here, these ancient building techniques where you're using methods that help keep buildings comfortable without the use of energy appliances, that's probably more in the vernacular architecture terminology, right?
1: Absolutely. Yes. Okay. Okay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. So your book, Habitat, Vernacular Architecture for a Changing Climate, which was updated and reprinted earlier this year, has just an incredible wealth of fascinating information about various kinds of vernacular architecture from all over the world, including important details about the geography and climate, economy, and culture of each region, in addition to descriptions of the architecture and the building materials and construction techniques, techniques. Plus, it has over a thousand beautiful photos and illustrations of examples of each type of architecture. So, I really enjoyed thumbing through the book. I really wish we could get into all of that today, but this is an audio-only format and we have to do our best. So, perhaps you could just briefly explain why you produced the book and how it came about and what you discovered in the process.
1: Sure. I produced a book initially on date palm leaf architecture called Arish palm leaf architecture in United Arab Emirates. And the word Arish is a native term for date palm buildings in the region. And I was invited by a publisher, Times and Hudson, to expand this thinking across the world and produce a global overview. But because of this experience of living and working in the Middle East and also analyzing vernacular buildings in the Middle East, I made a conscious decision to frame habitat around five major climate zones of the planet, which is tropical, arid, temperate. Continental and polar. And we use Koppen Geiger climate classification to do that, it's a climate classification used by World Meteorological Organization as well. I really have to credit 143 contributors from 52 countries who took place and part in the publication. So in a way, the knowledge which I'm sharing, I need to also contribute to their lifelong interests and passion and professional endeavors. Interesting. So the mental conclusion of Habitat is that there is a connection between the five planet's major ecosystems and climate zones with the built environment. And this can also apply to food systems, agriculture, and the general development of material culture. Sure. So in principle, the availability of natural resources in different climate zones shapes cities and villages. And it also enables the development of first climate technologies for the built environment you could call it today, zero carbon climate technologies. Yeah. Okay. So this is in principle, a summary of the book. But I think what is interesting is this sort of connectivity that the book represents between the climate zone ecosystems and the built environment.
0: Interesting. Okay. It really is a beautiful book. And I hope that interested listeners will go pick up a copy of it and explore all that marvelous (laughs) detail for themselves, especially all the photos and the illustrations. It's fascinating stuff. All right. Well, let's turn now to why architecture has an important role to play in the energy transition, because I think when most people think about the energy transition, they don't think about architecture. They think about what kind of fuels are you going to burn or what kind of appliances are you going to use to use them. And I think it's becoming quite obvious with the extreme heat that we've seen this year in particular across much of the world, that simply deploying air conditioners everywhere is hardly a tenable strategy for dealing with increased and maybe even permanently higher temperatures. For one thing, conventional cooling devices, including air conditioners and refrigerators, already account for as much as 10% of all global greenhouse gas emissions, according to to a 2019 World Bank report. That amount is twice the emissions generated from aviation and sea travel combined, according to that report. So it's a very substantial load of greenhouse gas emissions just coming from cooling. And for another, much of the world where temperatures are the most severe, like parts of the Middle East and Africa and Asia, don't even have sufficient grid power to run a lot of new air conditioners. But even if it were practical to do that, and this is where I think the relevance to the energy transition comes in, it would be made all the more difficult by the fact that we're also trying to bring all sorts of new loads, including not just heating and cooling, but transportation and industrial processes and all sorts of things, onto the power grid at the same time under the electrify everything rubric. And that was already a tall order. I mean, even in the US on a modern grid, operators have struggled to meet power demand this summer as everyone cranked up their AC. Even grids that had been famous for having a large amount of reserve capacity, like the PJM interconnection, the nation's largest electricity market in the U.S., which stretches from Chicago to D.C., issued emergency alerts in late July as it struggled to meet record demand from people running the air conditioning, even as power plants were also stressed by the heat. So, clearly, we need to look beyond merely generating power to run more air conditioners if we're going to survive the coming years. And so that got me to thinking about these ancient methods that we used to use to keep buildings comfortable long before the discovery of electricity or even the invention of the engine. And where I grew up in Tucson, Arizona, there are still buildings in the old Barrio part of town that were built with three foot thick walls of adobe. And those buildings stayed very comfortable, even in the heat of the summer, without any mechanical ventilation devices. Just a lot of thermal mass, just that big mass of adobe sitting there, and a few strategically placed windows that captured the breeze while also not letting sunlight directly inside where it could heat up the interior really did the trick. And Long before that, in what is now called Pueblo architecture, cliff dwellings that were built by the ancestral Pueblo or Anasazi culture in the American Southwest, hundreds of years before Europeans landed in North America used similar techniques, and homes modeled after it are still in use today. And I've also been thinking about the first chapters of John Perlin's magisterial book on solar, Let It Shine, the 6,000-year story of solar energy, in which he explains how the ancient Greeks and others used things like thermal mass and strategically placed windows, overhangs and glazing, to keep their buildings comfortable for thousands of years. And I've wondered if these techniques could still be used today to help us live in an era of unprecedented heat and other climate disruptions without putting additional load on the power grid. So I've been wondering how the techniques of vernacular architecture can help us to manage thermal loads and maintain comfortable buildings through their very design, like what some people have started calling passive cooling, without the use of energy consuming appliances. And I wanted to explore some of those techniques with you today and see how they might still be usable as well as if anyone is using them or what their costs would be relative to more conventional modern architecture. And then we can maybe try to put those into some broader context of sustainable development. So let's just tackle the first question. What's keeping us from using these ancient architectural building techniques today?
1: I think there are a few reasons. One is probably connected with westernization of, I'm thinking about Africa, for example, or Asia, or Arabian Peninsula, is westernization of construction methods. Many of these materials didn't undergo technological evolution so they need strengthening some of them are not necessarily durable because when you build today you probably will be asked a question about lifespan whether it's 25 years 50 years so there is much research needed to be put into making sure that they're durable maybe we need some hybrid solutions i'm thinking for example about mud and rain context etc So one is enabling technology transfer within some of these materials so we could use them more efficiently in a more durable way this is one sector. The other sector is, for example, in some countries, these vernacular materials are not on the approval list of the materials. Mm. Because, for example, concrete or bricks or something else that came from the West, maybe is more durable, not necessarily healthy, it's not breathing, is on that list of the approval. And then the other thing is a question of mindsets and stylistic evolution. So I remember, you know, forever been interviewing indigenous people, or for example, not necessarily the current grandparents, but the generation, their children. So there are probably people in the middle age right now. And of course, they want innovation, they want new styles, etc. They get access to social media, internet. And I think as architects and designers, as people who Uh, giving shape to ideas to contemporary images, we kind of fail to adapt some of these technologies to contemporary use to contemporary language that it looks maybe a little bit more modern. And I think always the solution is probably in hybrid solutions. So there is a complexity of technical issues and probably social mindset. Issues as well. But of course, as you were saying, for example, the Middle East offers a perfect example for thermal cooling and desert regions in particular, thick thermal mass, amazing cities that we continue. Look at, at Yemen, for example, where you have these big skyscrapers built from mud tightly put together offering cool city at the same time not just a building the same thing in Morocco so I think we have an amazing heritage of demonstrating that actually even some of these buildings been around with us for hundreds of years and there is probably nothing stopping us to try to apply some of these technologies today in a new way
0: great so why don't we take a few minutes here and talk through some specific techniques We hope you've enjoyed this free sample of the Energy Transition Show. Our full episodes cover much more and are typically 60 to 90 minutes long. When you become a full annual subscriber, you'll get two new complete episodes each month, access to our entire back catalog, extensive show notes, interview transcripts, the text of the news items for each episode, and access to our exclusive job board. Your premium members-only subscription will work in all apps and players that support podcast feeds, including Apple Podcasts and Pocket Casts, so you can easily listen from your mobile device on the go. In order to bring you the most unfiltered, unbiased, honest information possible, we have elected not to take any sponsors or advertisers. The Energy Transition Show is entirely supported by listener subscriptions. To become a subscriber and enjoy our full offerings, just point your browser to energytransitionshow.com and click the Become a Member button. Annual subscriptions, which include full access to our entire back catalog of full-length episodes, are just $60 a year. Monthly subscriptions are $6.99 a month and give you access to the two most recent episodes. Single episodes can be purchased for $7 each. We also offer discounted annual subscriptions for individual university students and professors, as well as group licenses for companies, nonprofits, and universities. So join us today and support our ad-free podcast featuring high-quality, cutting-edge interviews and news about the most important story of our time, energy transition. And now a quick look at some recent news items. Item 1. On August 2nd and 3rd this year, Iran declared national public holidays and urged people to stay indoors due to unprecedented heat. Many cities in southern Iran suffered days of exceptional heat, and temperatures over 123 degrees Fahrenheit, or 51 degrees Celsius, were reported in the southern city of Avaz. Phoenix, Arizona also clocked record temperatures this summer. Not a record high. The hottest day this year was July 19th at 119 degrees Fahrenheit or 48.3 degrees Celsius, four degrees below its all-time record of 122 degrees Fahrenheit set in 1990 but it did set a record for the most consecutive days over 110 degrees Fahrenheit at 31 days, far surpassing the previous record of 18 days. And in July, Phoenix set a record for the highest monthly average temperature of any U.S. city at 102.7 degrees Fahrenheit. It also set a new high temperature record for the lowest overnight temperature at 97 degrees Fahrenheit, and it experienced 19 days in July in which the temperature did not go below 90 degrees Fahrenheit. Item 2. Offshore wind appeared to be running into resistance in the U.S. this summer, as Iberdrola subsidiary Avant Grid cancelled a contract to sell power from its planned wind farm off the coast of Massachusetts, and Danish wind developer Orsted lost a bid to develop offshore wind for Rhode Island. Well, that's it for this episode of the Energy Transition Show. Thanks for listening. You can find our show archive and give us feedback and suggestions at energytransitionshow.com. On social media, you can follow us on Mastodon at, transitionshow at mastodon.energy, or on Twitter at transitionshow. Chris Nelder creates the show, Kevin Melsheimer edits it and makes us all sound brilliant, and Justin Ritchie produces our listener experience. Mike Sugar composed and produced our theme music, and you can find him at mikesugarmusic.com. The Energy Transition Show is a production of the XE Network.